Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are going to be listening to excerpts from the 2019 Drama Vic Conference, Unity, Exploring Diversity and Inclusion in Drama Education. I can take no credit for the amazing words that you are going to be listening to over these next few episodes. They all come live from the Drama Vic Conference, 5th and 6th of December 2019. So without any further ado, I bring you an excerpt from the 2019 Drama Victoria Conference. We've had one really inspiring keynote. We're about to have a second. I would, I would like to introduce the wonderful Kate Hood. Kate is the Artistic Director of Raspberry Ripple, and she will tell you a little bit more about that, and Board Member of Arts Access, offering a disability perspective to our conference <coughs> today. Kate worked as an able-bodied actor and writer for over 20 years, performing in everything from classics to musicals. Her performance credits include Prisoner, Big River, Diving for Pearls with MTC, Marat Saad with Adelaide State Theatre Company, Kate became a wheelchair user over a decade ago and reinvented herself as a disabled actor and theatre maker. As a disabled performer, she works commercially in a whole range of roles, including a voiceover artist and has won awards for her audiobooks. Kate formed her disability-led theatre company, Raspberry Ripple, as a response to the invisibility she perceived in relation to disabled actors, writers and theatre makers across screens and stages. Raspberry Ripple's remit is to make theatre from the point of view of disability, to tell stories of disabled and non-disabled people living in the world together. Kate collaborates uh, with other disabled artists and was awarded a mentorship with Writers Victoria to work on her play, Ruthie. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our second keynote for our conference, Kate. I have to say that Meg wanted me to say to you all that the reason my company is called Raz Ripple is that it is cockney rhyming slang for cripple. <laughs> so just to, because they were going, what does that mean? Is it, you know, nipple or <laughs> So as a means of talking accurately about what it's like being a disabled actor in Australia, I've decided to use my own story rather than talking about disability generally, which can be a bit of a dry affair. It's also very complex because disability is so diverse. So I want to talk about the privilege I've had in the performing arts. I had a career as an able-bodied actor, as Meg said, for many years, performing in everything from classics to musicals. And I began my career as a puppeteer, actually, and went to New Zealand and worked there. Um, stayed there for eight years, went to drama school. And I worked at the Mercury Theatre in Auckland under the artistic directorship of Jonathan Hardy. I was lucky enough to be brought up as a theatre actor alongside Simon Phillips, who's a couple of years younger than me, actually, George Henneray, and a host of other wonderful theatre artists, and lucky enough to go to drama school in that country too. It's a lovely place. I eventually returned to Australia in 1985, 
And I worked with mainstream theatre companies like MTC, STC South Australia, um, and with Gordon Frost Productions doing musicals. And of course, I did Prisoner in 1842. <laughs> 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 so <clears throat> now I want to talk about the lack of privilege I've experienced as a disabled performer. I became a wheelchair user over a decade ago and suddenly the door was firmly shut. I became aware that there was a blank space around me in the mainstream world of performing arts. It became excruciatingly clear that there was no place for me in my beloved world of theatre. So I went off to study psychotherapy, thinking that this was the closest thing to being an actor because it's the study of what it is to be human, right? But of course, what happens when you study psychotherapy is that you work on yourself. So I came to the realisation that really what I wanted was to return to my chosen profession. I began writing and performing that writing. And eventually, after years, I reinvented myself as a disabled writer, actor and director in the disability arts sector. It took a decade for me to realise that actually I needed to work back in the mainstream of my chosen profession and also that I had the right to do so. I call this my in-between time, a time when I worked with a tribe of disabled artists who were siloed away, making work which was seen pretty much exclusively by only other disabled artists. This gave me a thirst to advocate for disabled performers in theatre. The Australia Council funded me to train as a lead creative with UK disability arts company Unlimited. And uh, I was also given a place in the residency with Jenny Seeley, being human and the aesthetics of access. And Jenny is the deaf artistic director of Grey Eye Theatre in the UK. And also she was the director of the Paralympic Opening Games in 2012. So my international connections started to be fostered by my contact with those people. And um, early next year, I'm working with uh, Julie McNamara, who's an another uh, disabled <coughs> artistic director from the UK. So I've recently begun working back in the mainstream again over the past few years. So my most recent credit is um, that's why the lady needs a ramp, which is my one. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that at Footscray Arts Centre earlier this year, and I'm hoping that's going to have more seasons, hopefully at Malt House next year. Um, and I did a play <coughs> by the playwright Emily Collier called Contest um, with Darabin Speakeasy. And uh, I, I was directing placement at Malt House on the real and imagined history of the Elephant Man back in 2017. Um, I'm an artist in residence at Footscray Community Arts Centre and so is my company. And I'm Deputy Chair of Actors' Equity's Diversity Committee and Founder and Co-Chair of the Performers with Disability Committee with Equity and I sit on the board of Arts Access Victoria. So my theatre company, Raspberry Ripple Productions, makes original, inclusive theatre 
which articulates stories about people with and without disability living in the world together. Its first production was supported by Footscray Arts Centre under its Call to Create program, and it's gone on to develop new shows, workshops in inclusive practice, and a new initiative, Raspberry Ripple Reads, which is something which sees disabled actors adding dimensions to readings of work from the canon. <coughs> Raspberry Ripple is a company in residence at Footscray Community Arts Centre. I passionately believe that the best form of advocacy for disabled artists is to make work which depends on them for its impact. But there's a problem. How do we create a pool of outstanding deaf and disabled actors? Do they have to fit into the mainstream? Or does the mainstream have to accommodate them? Now, before I address these questions, and actually I'd love to get some feedback from you about what you think about this, because I think <coughs> we're just beginning in this country. We're just beginning to think about it and actually have conversations about this. It's really important, and you guys are at the forefront. It's you who are dealing with the young people who are going to make the difference in the performing arts when I'm dead. <laughs> you know. So the social model of disability is something which is a founding principle by which I live and work. It changed the way I thought about my life as a disabled person as a, and as a disabled artist. And it absolutely informs how we move forward to embrace and include artists with disability within our educational institutions. The social model of disability says that barriers put in place by a world designed for normal people disables us far more than our bodies ever will. In Australia, disabled people are excluded from education, recreation, work, and their talents, intelligence, and gifts are squandered. Attitudinal barriers lead to all other barriers. If a disabled person doesn't have access, it's always because of a simple lack of thought or a subconscious feeling that disabled people are less than, so we don't really need to bother. Until recently, disability has been largely understood in the context of the medical model, locating disability as a problem within the person that requires medical intervention to address the individual's pathology. Also, we live in a society which tells us in subtle ways, and some not so subtle, that we have to take responsibility for our own lives and our own health. That doesn't sit too well with me. I can't see any way in which I'm responsible for my inherited genetic disease. I prefer the social model of disability which understands disability as a social construct. Within the social model, disability is not seen just as the person's condition. It's the result of social structures, attitudes, and behaviors that create disabling environments 
which exclude and discriminate against people. These disabling structures exist quite as much within the performing arts as out there in the wider world. Our society and the performing arts is hooked up on what I call the myth of perfection. Traditionally, only the most perfect physical specimens of humanity are invited into Hollywood as actors. And this has created the desire for physical perfection within the performing arts in Australia and everywhere, actually. The social model informs the way we think about disability, but also <coughs> what we do. It joins the dots between awareness and action. And action is what we need now. We've done enough talking about disability. So we disabled artists are impatient. We need to take up some space. I believe it's time for progress. And as George Bernard Shaw said, progress is impossible without change. And those who can't change their minds can't change anything. So I want you all to change your minds about disability being included in your educational practice. One in five people, that is 20% of the world's population, lives with a disability of one form or another. And we have an ageing population as well. So all of us are going to experience disability at some point in our lives, if we're lucky enough to get there. Now, we've become used to the idea that what happens in the world of disability is completely separate and unrelated to what happens in the world of able-bodied people. The two things do not blend. In the mainstream industry, we don't routinely have writers with disability writing for stage and screen, so our stories are not being told. That means that roles are not being written for actors with disability, but more importantly, that disabled artists, writers, theatre makers and other creatives simply don't exist as a normal part of professional life in mainstream theatre, television or film. So disabled performers are not auditioning for the generic roles of the mother, the sister, the prisoner, the forensic pathologist, the psychologist, the drunk, the neighbour, the gossip, the murderer. Come on, we can do it all. We do do it all. <laughs> Why? Because disabled people are considered to be less than. And the performing arts reflects the world, which discriminates against disabled people. So I think representation of the world as it actually is, is what the arts should do. That is our reason for being. The great thing that performance work does, and the arts generally, is that it represents the society in which we live, or it should. To me, that's the art world's function. We writers and actors and directors and educators feed back to audiences what is really going on in the world, right? And what is being fed back about people with disability is that we are less than, that we don't work, that we have no aspirations or intelligence, that we can't 
do anything. We have no real capabilities that any normal person would think of as important. And certainly not the capacity to lead. To date, we've not seen people with disability in all professional situations in life. We don't see disabled teachers or accountants or librarians or academics or arts administrators or arts financiers. It's not that we're not there. We are. But we're not in professional life in the mainstream to any large degree. And if we're seen at all, we're usually siloed away, making work that we see only us within our own group which keeps us in the cave with one another, while mainstream creative activity goes on without our, our involvement. So we need to create a growing pool of disabled and deaf performers who've been trained alongside their non-disabled colleagues. We have a small pool already, but we need to make it bigger. That way, when someone's looking to cast a disabled character, with a disabled actor, they'll be able to find a trained disabled actor of the right age, gender, and with the right disability. But things are changing slowly. We're beginning to see some examples coming from our very small pool of disabled artists. In 2016, Belvoir Street in Sydney cast one of the undisputed cream of Australia's acting fraternity in the role of Feste the Fool in their production of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Keith Robinson had been at the top of the tree in the Australian theatre industry. He'd made his own work, notably the show The Popular Mechanicals, and had been seen in leading roles across mainstream stages in Australia for years. Then he was diagnosed with a neurological <coughs> condition and his career came to an end. It took 10 years and a new artistic director, Eamon Flack, to have the desire to work with him regardless of the adjustments that would have to be made for him to make a return to the stage. The return was celebrated publicly and within the industry. He was brilliant. In 2017, <coughs> Malthouse Theatre cast a disabled actor, Daniel Monks, finally to play the lead in Elephant Man, and that was only after they had had consultation with Arts Access Victoria and disabled artists who'd said, you know what, you can't have an able-bodied person playing Elephant Man. You just can't do it. It's not okay. So my involvement in the play contest by Australian playwright Emily Collier was significant for me because it's not a play about disability. It's just a play. I was cast in it because, not because the role exists to talk about disability, but because the director realised that having a wheelchair user on stage with mainstream actors would make a significant statement about the diversity of women in our community. The playwright has made it a conditioned casting that that role will always be cast with an actor with disability for that reason. It was a significant win for artists with disability in Australia. And the beginning of new thinking. But still, drama schools do not take and train a regular quota of young disabled performers, which reflects the stats 
the one in five thing, the 20% thing, you know. So there's still no pathway for young, talented, disabled performers to enter the established industry. And of course, no growing pool. Now, I'm not saying that every disabled person who wants to become an actor is going to be able to do it. I think that like everyone else, disabled performers need to step up. But guess what? Not every able-bodied person who wants to become an actor is able to do it either. The difference between us is that able-bodied people can take it for granted that they can access a tried and tested pathway into drama school and then into the industry. They can audition at least. Disabled people can't do that. So my question is, how do we make a pathway into the established industry happen for talented people who make the grade at the audition, but who are disabled? In order for disabled artists to step up in the same way as everyone else, we need access to the same pathways as everyone else. And that's not just about putting a ramp in. It's about the industry and our educators changing their thinking. It's about thinking laterally about disability, thinking about deaf people, a person with autism, a person with mild cerebral palsy and what they can do on stage. We've got examples like Bridie McKim, mild cerebral palsy, but she was in The Heights on the ABC recently. I'd love to see her on stage. I'd love to see her coming in and teaching as a guest teacher, something like that. After all, our industry depends on stories. So why would we not want to find some new ones? There are so many out there. So here's the thing. I believe that disability can actually make the work better. Imagine a production of Shakespeare's King Lear where the role of Cordelia was played by a deaf actress. What would that do to the relationships within the play? What if Cordelia had mild cerebral palsy? How would her sisters treat her then? They treat her badly anyway, but ooh. <laughs> you know, what would her relationship with her father be like? How would her status as a princess play out within the community. You see, to me, the dimension that could add to the play has the potential to be extraordinary. Families have to deal with difference all the time. So how would that family deal with it? Would the audience see Shakespeare's text in a new light? I passionately, passionately believe that the best way to advocate for disabled artists is to make work which depends on them for its impact. But we need to work out how. We need to change our methodologies so they become inclusive. Thinking about working with a deaf student, the obvious thing that occurs to me is that you need an Auslan interpreter. But you also need to find out, does this deaf person lip read or not? Does this deaf person speak or not? Some people don't. So 
the, the thing that I really want to say about this is ask the person. If you're confronted with a person with a disability, any disability, they are the expert in that disability. Arts Access is not going to be able to tell you what to do. They can tell you what to do. I'm an expert in wheelchairs. I can tell you anything you want to know about them because I use one every day of my life. I can tell you anything you want to know about hereditary spastic paraplegia, which is the neurological disease that I have. I can tell you what I can do and what I can't do. I can wait there. I can actually walk a, a couple of steps. A lot of people in wheelchairs can't do that. But everyone assumes that I'm a paraplegic because I'm in a wheelchair. I'm not. So, my feeling is this. Every drama course, every room, every theatrical production has problems. Disability is just another problem. <laughs> I think every rehearsal period should start with every person, disabled or not, answering the question, what do you need to do your best work? And that's why that's the title of my presentation. Let's listen to the unique responses and then act on them. That way, we'll all get what we want. And that goes to the question, what do you need as teachers to do your best work? What do you need to be able to teach vocal technique to a deaf person or a disabled person? Or to choreograph a performer in a wheelchair? Answer that question and you'll be closer to understanding how to proceed. So, how does our known educational practice fit with a new breed of artists with disability? Known methodologies for teaching performance are predicated on the idea that there's an expert in the room who can explore the creative possibilities with students. But that expert will not necessarily know how to work with a person who is deaf or disabled. As I said before, the person is the expert. Ask them. Step back. Take a step down. Thank you. How do performing arts educational institutions practice inclusion? Number one, do a disability action plan. You probably have already. Arts Access Victoria collaborates in the mainstream to help people do that. So if you're from Victoria, ask them. So you can always ask the question, what are your access needs? In fact, I think everybody in every room should be asked that question. In contest, we had a breastfeeding mother, a woman with a sore hip, someone who just dislocated their shoulder. You know, we all had particular <coughs> things that we needed. I needed to take time off to get my house cleaned and my bed made. These are the things I can't do for myself. So to be in the very best condition to work, people need to have their access needs met. And as far as I'm concerned, needing to breastfeed every four hours is an access need. So um, 
The other th I'm trying, I'm flicking through questions because Meg's given me time. You've got to ask the awkward question. You've got to feel okay with doing that and feel okay with getting possibly a prickly response. <coughs> Some people um, who are disabled are prickly, some people are not. Some people disclose, I do, other people don't. And so you need to be open and ask questions that are open as well. Um, and work with people on what they need. You need to present as somebody who cares about what their experience is. And as somebody who values their experience of the world. It needs to be understood that performers with disability do not get the same opportunities as everybody else. They don't get the same opportunities in the world as everybody else. So you're probably going to have kids who act out if they're disabled. They'll be angry, they'll be upset, they'll feel excluded in the room. If there's a room full of able-bodied people, they just will. So who are the experts? Well, Arts Access Victoria, as I said before, they have a website with a resources page that you can access. And on that resources page, you will find information about <coughs> correct language. Um, they use person with disability. I say disabled person because I'm using the UK model. It's different over there. Um, disability action plans and a wealth of other relevant things as well. They also provide training <coughs> on disability awareness and have collaborated with arts, um, the Arts Centre Melbourne, MTC, Malthouse and others. So contact them, have a conversation. Their details are on their website. But I say again, the student living with the disability is the expert you really need to talk to. They can tell you all you need to know. So I want to finish by talking about my ideal world. In my ideal world, there would be a level playing field within our profession. We'd see people with disabilities studying at drama school, writing for television, directing for stage and film, and it would be commonplace for the Australian public to see actors who are genuinely disabled on our stages and television screens and in our films. We would not see able-bodied actors cripping up. We just wouldn't see it. They'd be in demand, adding dimension to classic and contemporary performance work. Disabled actors would be auditioning for roles alongside able-bodied actors. The office worker, the neighbour, the prisoner, the politician, the psychiatrist, the brother, the songwriter, whatever. And would be judged on the quality of their audition just like the able-bodied actors they studied with at drama school. <laughs> and our profession would change the way we think about difference. In 50 years' time, our great-grandchildren would be told tales of a world where discrimination against all people who were seen as other was normal and shake their heads in disbelief. <laughs> and the performing arts would be a profession that reflected the world as it actually is. That is all from us at The Aside. We have a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to look through those and find one that piques your interest. 
If you would like to ask us a question or you have a request for a future episode, do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. And of course, thank you for listening.